This is the Daily Perspective Podcast. Mark Congleton here, your sometimes humble host for this uh, almost an hour of observation, insight, and absurdity. For this Thursday, December 17th, 2020. Ha, ha, you. Good to have you along today. I hope you're doing well. Hope you and yours have had a, uh, a decent day since we were together yesterday. It is, um, <laughs> I don't understand why I, I always fall for the shiny stuff. <laughs> it's just, I'll, I'll be talking during the intro and, oh, look, shiny. Um, <laughs> we're almost to the weekend. We are a week away from Christmas, uh, uh, Christmas Eve being one week from today. And, uh, I know everybody's getting excited. The little ones are getting excited. The, the not so little ones are, are getting anxious because all of the things that they've ordered online are not, not at their doorstep yet. And they, they, it's that way around our house. I talked about this yesterday that, uh, we have a handful of things, not many, just a few that we're about to start having anxiety attacks over because this, this stuff is not here. And when you go look at the hosting, you, it's a mystery. I mean, it's just an, a, a stinking mystery. You just, you just don't know where your stuff is. And that's crazy. Excuse me. And, uh, it's just nuts. I just, uh, I, uh, was looking at some of my stuff last night and, uh, I, I have things that I've ordered. Jane has things that she's ordered. She's stressing over this one item. And, uh, when I say stressing, I mean, stressing, she's stressing over this one item, um, that, she ordered pretty much the same thing last year for someone. And she said, well, this would be great for this person. So she ordered it again, uh, in about the same time before Christmas last year, there was no problem this year. <laughs> it's a big mystery. We just don't know where it is. All we know is it's been shipped, but that's the way it is when they ship using the United States postal service. Yeah, you got to trust those guys, don't you? It's um, <laughs> it's just a huge mystery, and I've got uh, I got a couple of things, I that, well, one of those things is not actually a gift item; it's something I just ordered a while back. And there's been this this uh, tennis match back and forth about the shipping. Um, it went to the wrong address originally, and uh, then I provided with the correct address. I I and uh, and and now I don't know where it is. This is life in COVID land. It's, you don't just go out and go pick stuff up anymore because everybody's scared to death and everybody's going to be picking on you if you don't, if your mask is not right and if you touch your nose and if you go, oh, dear Lord, we're all going to die. So, yeah, I've been shopping online for years. I just think it's very convenient. I just, before, before COVID hit, I was Mr. Online Shopper. I get Christmas done way in advance have all the boxes hidden around the house. And then, uh, as, uh, as Christmas got close and whenever the house was empty, I'd have, I'd have, uh, wrapping sessions and things would appear under the tree. So I, this is nothing new to me, but this, the, the, the delays, that's interesting. It's very interesting. Considering all we know, those of us who are paying attention that we, uh, we understand that the vast majority of the COVID concern is manufactured. And those of us who've been paying attention and doing our homework, we have seen the, uh, the reports, we've seen the studies, we've seen what's actually going on. And we've been watching how, how, what doesn't fit the narrative keeps getting buried and ignored 
and and punished online services i mean you you can get your account shut down now for just sharing something that doesn't agree with the covid narrative and it's it's really a shame that today in in the world today that you just cannot say hey i saw this does this mean what i'm being told is not true you can post a, st- a something like that to Twitter or Facebook and you get warned. Hey, hey, now, 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 don't disagree with the, with the, uh, the powers that be don't, don't disagree. Don't you dare or we'll cut you loose. Well, here's an interesting thought. We lived for a long, long time without either Facebook or Twitter. In fact, we had happy lives without Facebook and Twitter. I dare say we were less stressed without Facebook or Twitter. And today, Facebook and Twitter are consuming people's lives. Oh, and other services too, like Instagram and, and, uh, and TikTok and, and these other services. All of these services, which are just social media services where people are trying to be stars. They want their own little circle of fame. They are... <laughs> I'm going to air quote influencers. Yes, they're influencers in their chosen circle of media. And, and they, they're, they've become little stars. Well, geez, because everybody is looking for that 15 minutes of fame and they're going to try to get it wherever they can. We've become addicted to these services, just like we got addicted to TV movies and the like. And, what if you want to see there's a great movie there's a great movie about using about about entertainment being an escape that it's an old woody allen movie called the purple rose of cairo and if you've never seen the purple rose of cairo you should because it's a wonderful movie about escaping into the movies for uh to 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 get away from life's pains and problems and stress and what happens when a certain young lady when her life back in the depression when her life takes a nasty turn and she goes to the movies to escape it's it's a fantastic little movie about escaping into the movies and what happened instead of escaping into the movies but we have become this society which escapes into entertainment in and sports is entertainment just like the movies and other things are and we tend not to pay attention to the realities of life we would prefer to ignore those and then consequentially suffer as a result because we're not connected to what's really going on in the world around us and other other people nefarious people will take advantage of that And so here we have a situation where a society is addicted to entertainment and decides it's going to become part of the entertainment and seeks its own 15 minutes of fame and decides to be be people, kids, kids and adults becoming influencers in their various chosen field, whether it be Facebook or Twitter or whatever. And they're all wrapped up in that and not the real, real world around them. And so people take advantage and they use those those social media platforms to influence in their own way i feel like i've been wandering around all over the place i feel like i'm rambling but here's the thing 
Facebook and Twitter themselves are being used to influence you and your opinion and your thinking. And they are being used to influence campaigns of politicians. And you may be thinking, well, I mean, that's, that's just the way it is, right? Well, when you're talking about the amount of money that these people can throw at their chosen candidates, it can be concerning. Facebook and Twitter executives poured hundreds of thousands of dollars into Joe Biden's presidential campaign, all while blocking the New York Post's expose about Hunter Biden's overseas business dealings. In a story coming from the NewYorkPost.com by Ebony Bowden, we learn this revelation comes amid accusations from President Trump and other Republicans that Silicon Valley is censoring conservative voices, sparking a push for the companies to lose their liability protections. Now, these companies are, by and large, pro-progressivism and anti-conservatism. And they are pro-Joe Biden and anti-Trump because Trump is pointing out what they're doing, basically pulling back the curtain and revealing them for who they are and what they are. And they don't like that. A review of Federal Election Commission records show Facebook's Vice President of Public Policy and Chief Privacy Officer, Aaron Egan, donated $99,440.01. We have it down to the penny. To Democrats and Biden in the final weeks of the political race. Egan donated the maximum contribution to the former Veep's White House bid on September 8th and October 1st. Before that was 2800 bucks. And then ponied up a whopping 55 grand for the Biden Victory Fund and 35,500 for the Democratic National Committee. According to Biden's website, the Biden Victory Fund is a joint fundraising effort among its among his campaign, the DNC, and the 47 state parties to help defeat Trump. As first reported by Fox News, Egan made no contributions to the president's campaign. Likewise, Facebook's chief financial officer, David Weiner, donated $2,800 apiece to Biden's campaign and Democrat Amy McGrath's failed bid to unseat Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell in Kentucky. David Fisher, Facebook's chief revenue officer, donated $2,800 to Biden, Biden's bid during the Democratic primary, according to FEC records, and another $750 during the general election. But Fisher also donated tens of thousands of dollars to Democratic challengers in other key races, including Jamie Harrison's unsuccessful campaign against Senator Lindsey Graham and Mark Kelly and John Hickenlooper's successful Senate races in Arizona and Colorado. A number of Facebook vice presidents and Instagram's chief financial officer also donated the maximum $2,800 to Biden's White House bid. At Twitter, dozens of senior employees also donated almost exclusively to Democrats and Biden. Vice President Matt Durella donated two grand to Biden's campaign in September, while Senior Director of Product Management James Kelm made two donations totaling $5,600 to Biden, according to FEC records. Representatives from Twitter and Facebook have declined to comment. The Biden campaign 
didn't respond immediately to requests for comment. The companies have been under fire after they both sought to limit sharing of the Post's reporting on Hunter Biden's shadowy business deals in the Ukraine and China, with Twitter locking the newspaper's account for two weeks. Twitter CEO Jack Dorsey was forced to apologize after the social media giant blocked its users from sharing the story, calling the decision unacceptable. President Trump has been on a mission to cut the company's Section 230 liability protections, which provide a legal shield to tech companies for content on their sites. And they should be. That Section 230 liability protection should be taken away. These people are using their platforms and their wealth to promote a political agenda. And honestly, you can live without them. Oh, but all my friends are on Facebook. Well, send them all a message. Tell them, I love you. I care about you. But I'm out of here. I can't support this anymore. I can't have these people making money off the advertising that's being pushed towards me through every avenue that I, every electronic avenue I have. Because I disagree very strongly with what they represent. If you'd like to get in touch with me, you know my phone number. Facebook and Twitter and other sources like that are, they're like, I, I, I know you don't remember the day of the party line. I barely do. When I was a kid, a little kid, the telephone companies used to offer something in rural areas called a party line where everybody shared the same phone line. So everybody down a certain road shared the same phone line. And when the phone would ring, it would ring a certain way to let you know it was for you. And people used to listen in on the party line just to find out what was happening. Gathering gossip. And Facebook and Twitter are an awful lot like that, where people gather over the backyard fence, so to speak, and share the latest. Dirt. It's not healthy. It's not good for us. We don't need it. Like I said before, our lives were actually happier before we had those services. So why not pull the plug? It's the Daily Perspective Podcast. Welcome back. I hope you're having a good day. Hey, thanks a lot for being part of the fam. I appreciate you being there. Thanks for sharing with your friends. Thanks for listening. I got some... You know how you know something and you want to share it, but it's not a good time to share it and... It's, I got one of those things going on right now. And no, it's not about the show notes. I, you'll know more about that as we get past the first of the year. But the Something else is bubbling in the background. And um, it could be interesting. Let's just say that. It could be interesting. Something a lot of people really liked may be coming back. But I can't, I, I've been given some inside information. I can't share it with you. But I'm just kind of excited about it. Anyway, um. I just, during the break, I'm stumbling through, you know, the odds and ends. I get distracted by social media and 
What do I find on social media? You remember Seinfeld? Yeah, you remember the TV show Seinfeld, right? <laughs> yeah. It, 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 it's amazing to me, but it's real. That th there was this episode. I don't know if you remember the episode, but there was an episode when the super of the building changed out all the shower heads for low flow shower heads. You remember that? Because they were all they were all about you know reducing costs and everybody was using too much water and it, it was just it was crazy. Everybody hated it. They all hated it. And of course, of course. <laughs> Of course they hated it. And what happens? Kramer finds a black market supply for shower heads. And it's just, it's just, it's just crazy talk. It's crazy stuff. But, <laughs> but as things happen to in real life, we find actual exam, actual examples of things like this happening. There actually were low flow restrictions put in place as far as shower heads were concerned years ago. And the Trump administration has just rolled back those low flow restrictions on shower heads. And Trump has, has repeatedly complained that these, these, these restrictions force people to use more water not less. He says, shower heads, you take a shower, the water doesn't come out. You want to wash your hands, the water doesn't come out. So what do you do? You just stand there longer or you take a shower longer because my hair, I don't know about you, but it has to be perfect. Perfect. <laughs> and he also complained about people are flushing toilets a lot more and the like. So the Trump administration affirmed it has committed to reducing regulatory burdens and safeguarding consumer choice. And they've changed the rules. So now you can choose, my proud American friend, you can choose products that are best suited to meet your individual needs and the needs of their families. You want to choose, you want to buy low-flow shower heads, then you can choose to buy low-flow shower heads. But if you appreciate that great water pressure and want a great invigorating shower, doggone ya, <laughs> you can now buy high-flow shower heads. This is what our government concerns itself with. Shower heads and the flow of water through your home plumbing. This is what our government concerns itself with. It just it never ceases to amaze me that if our government could control the number of times you inhale per minute, they would do it. Because they would find some way to justify that legislation because of air purity qualities or or making sure everybody has equal access to the atmosphere. They would find some way to do it because they have to pretend to be important and they have to pretend to be everybody's hero. Oh, they're looking out for us. Oh, they're taking care of us. The same exact attitude we have about Dr. Fauci today and COVID. Oh, they're just looking out for us. No, no, they're not looking out for you. They're looking out for them. Wake up. Oy. They used COVID, scared everybody half to death, gave themselves an avenue to change voting laws illegally so that their candidate could win. You've been duped. And I hate to say it, but when I look at the news today, I really have to wonder. I really, really have to wonder. Are enough Americans smart enough? 
to deserve good government? It makes me wonder. Fortunately, we have a few people out there who from time to time actually seem to have a spark of decency about them. Senator Rand Paul is one of them at Wednesday's, yesterday's U.S. Senate hearing examining irregularities during the 2020 presidential election. Paul claimed that fraud happened and that the election in many ways was stolen. This Senate Homeland Security and Governmental Affairs Committee hearing comes after the Electoral College on Monday voted, making President-elect Joe Biden's victory official, official after Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell and many other top Senate Republicans congratulated the president-elect following Monday's vote. President Donald Trump refuses to concede the election and continues to claim that the election was stolen from him. And I, for one, agree with him and will never refer to Joe Biden as president-elect. And I will never refer to Joe Biden as the president of the United States if they succeed in placing him in the Oval Office. And I will not refer to Kamala Harris as the vice president or possibly the president should Joe Biden flake out. Because they didn't, they weren't elected by the people. They were put in office by a political party through their own illegal machinations. And no, I'm not a conspiracy theorist. I've just been watching. The hearing's top witness was Chris Krebs, who served as director of the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency, CISA, and oversaw the United States election security for the 2020 presidential election. President Trump controversially fired Krebs because he disagreed with the president on the prevalence of election fraud, even having created a CISA website for the purpose of debunking election disinformation. Rand Paul said the fraud happened. The election in many ways was stolen, and the only way it'll be fixed is by, in the future, reinforcing the laws. But I think Krebs' job was keeping the foreigners out of the election. It was the most secure election based on the security of the Internet and technology. But he was never, but he's never voiced an opinion on whether or not dead people voted. I don't think he explained that, said Paul toward the end of his speaking time. Then questioning if Krebs examined non-citizens voting. Many Republicans, in alleging that widespread election fraud occurred in the 2020 election, have often cited claims that a lot of dead people and non-citizens voted. We've talked about that here. The over 50 lawsuits challenging the results of the election in certain swing states alleging election fraud have overwhelmingly failed in the courts. But I have to add, they failed on procedural issues not on the merits of their of the case itself. The cases were presented improperly. They were presented out of order. They were presented in ways that didn't get them the attention they needed. And so they were kicked back out. Not because of the content, not because of what they were alleging, but because of the way they were filed in some cases. And in some cases, courts just refused to hear them. Go look at Nevada. Nevada is a prime example. And there was testimony in this hearing about Nevada, and I've got that coming up here in just a little bit. I hope I have time to get to it. I say that sometimes. Yes, we're going to talk about that today, and I never get to it. And I apologize for that, but sometimes mm, it just happens that way. Rand Paul continues, So to say it was the safest election, sure, I agree with your statement, if you're referring to foreign intervention. 
But if you're saying it's the safest election based on no dead people voting, no non-citizens voting, no people broke the absentee ballot rules, I think that's false. And I think that's what upset a lot of people on our side is that you're taking your statement to mean, oh, there were no problems in the election. I don't think you examined any of the problems that we've heard here. So really, you're just referring to something differently the way I look at it. And I think I think Senator Paul is being gracious because Krebs never should have said what he said, and he should not have set up a website to debunk and to, uh, to talk about fraud, about uh, and uh, debunking people's opinions and, and what they've had to find about election fraud. He shouldn't have done that. He should have been very clear that they've been successful on international interference, but we're learning that that's not true as well. Thank goodness there are some clear-headed Republicans who are actually focused on telling the truth rather than being focused on preserving their positions. There are a lot of people in office today on the Republican side of the aisle who are more concerned about keeping their jobs than they are about preserving the future of this nation. And what they don't understand is if they keep following the path they're on, they won't have jobs. Come on. Yes, sir. It's the Thursday edition of the Daily Perspective Podcast. December 17th, 2020. We're less than a week away. Oh, we're right at a week away from Christmas. There is a group of Republicans. It's not a big group, but there is a group continuing to support President Donald Trump's ongoing legal challenges. The story comes to us from the Epoch Times. They continue to support in response to widespread allegations of voter fraud, saying that though electors cast their votes on December 14th, it's not over until Congress counts the electoral votes on January 6th. As a side note, it may not even be over then. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis declined a reporter's request to acknowledge Biden as president-elect. Senator Josh Hawley, he's the uh, Republican from Missouri, said the election won't be over until January 6th, the day that lawmakers can challenge slates of electors. Senator Kelly Leffler of Georgia wouldn't rule out lodging such a challenge. Hawley told CBS, I think this process will end on January 6th, which is when Congress has to certify the results of the Electoral College. Obviously. The Electoral College is very significant. Their vote was very significant earlier, but the certification happens on January 6th. And until then, I think President Trump certainly has every right to pursue the legal remedies he wants to pursue and to be heard. On January 6th, the newly seated House and Senate are scheduled to hold a joint session to count the electoral votes. The electors for each state can be challenged with a motion from one member of the House and one senator. Representative Mo Brooks of Alabama is planning to lodge such a challenge, but appears to not yet have found a Republican senator willing to work with him. 
Two newly elected members of the House, Representative-elect Barry Moore of Alabama and Representative-elect Marjorie Taylor Greene of Georgia, said they would back Brooks in challenging the electors. Josh Hawley didn't respond to an email asking whether he plans to challenge any of the electors. Brooks didn't respond to an email asking whether he'd found a senator to join his challenge either. Republican electors in seven states, all of which awarded their electoral votes to Biden, cast procedural votes for Trump on December 14th, setting up a dueling electors scenario, which hasn't been been seen since the 1960 presidential election. The seven states, Pennsylvania, Georgia, Michigan, Wisconsin, Arizona, Nevada, and New Mexico, certified the Biden electors. The president and third-party allies are pursuing legal challenges in six of those seven states. DeSantis said, when prompted to acknowledge Biden as president-elect, it's not for me to do. Obviously, we did our thing in Florida. The college voted. What's going to happen is going to happen. But I can tell you, I think a lot of the frustration for folks that supported the president was that we spent four years with people not accepting him. The last week of the election, Hillary Clinton was saying Vladimir Putin stole it. And I just think that that's left a lot of people really frustrated with how it's going to go. Leffler wouldn't rule out challenging electors on January 6th. The governor's senator, the Georgia senator, is facing a runoff election days prior to the counting of the electoral votes. She, she told reporters in Georgia, I haven't looked at it. January 6th is a long way out. There's a lot to play out between now and then. Of course, she's focused on winning that election there and overcoming all of the massive fraud that's happening in Georgia. Yes, there is massive fraud happening in Georgia. When you look at the players involved, you look at what's happening there, you look beyond the evening news and the news networks and do a little bit of digging, you'll see there's a lot of crap going on in Georgia. Senator Rand Paul said on December 10th he wouldn't rule out challenging the electors. His office didn't respond when asked whether the senator made up his mind yet. Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell on the 15th for the first time acknowledged Biden as the winner and cautioned fellow Republicans against challenging electors on January 6th. In response, President Trump wrote on Twitter on the 16th, Mitch, 75 million votes, a record for a sitting president by a lot. Too soon to give up. Republican Party must finally learn to fight. People are angry. He's right. People are angry. Republicans need to learn to fight. They need to stop this practice of losing with honor. There is no honor in losing to completely corrupt people. There is no honor at all in losing with honor to evil. None. Despite the concession from the Senate leader, Top House Republican representatives Kevin McCarthy and Steve Scalise haven't acknowledged Biden. McCarthy and Scalise were part of a group of 126 House lawmakers who filed a brief in support of Texas in an interstate election lawsuit that was subsequently declined by the Supreme Court. It was a standing issue. It was, it was not on the merits of, the, uh, of the, the case itself. Please remember that. There were no similar briefs for many Republican senators. The Epoch Times reached out to every Republican senator and senator-elect on December 16th yesterday to ask whether they planned to challenge electoral votes on january 6th the handful of those who responded didn't confirm whether they were planning to challenge they're cowards cowards 
Spokespeople for Senator John Cornyn, Republican from Texas, Senator Lindsey Graham of South Carolina, pointed the Epoch Times to remarks in which the senators acknowledged Biden as the winner, conditioned on the outcome of Trump's legal challenges. Cornyn said when asked whether Biden was now president-elect, quote, I would say that subject uh, that subject to any other litigation that could occur between now and January 20th, the answer is yes. He adds that challenging the electoral vote on January 6th would be a bad mistake. John Cornyn and Lindsey Graham aren't worth the wholesale price of the leather in their shoes. Because they have no courage. They're hiding behind procedural procedural items and, and political language. They're hiding behind these things. Instead of standing up and being brave soldiers. And Lindsey Graham has showed us that he can when he's confronted with absolute evil, as he did during the Kavanaugh hearings. But he won't do it now. And when we look at everything that's being reported, everything that's coming in, we see evil. After the Electoral College voted, Graham told reporters he had already spoken to Biden. But that Trump's legal challenges should be allowed to play out. Quote, it's a very, very narrow path for the president. I don't see how it gets there from here, given that this, what the Supreme Court did. But having said that, I think we'll let those legal challenges play out. Do you know what that says to me? Given what the Supreme Court did? What that says to me is that Lindsey Graham is ignorant of exactly what happened in that Supreme Court case. That Lindsey Graham doesn't understand why the Supreme Court declined to hear the case. And that he is just parroting what his people are telling him. And that's extremely disappointing. Mr. Graham needs to do a little ed a little self-educating. He needs to dig into what's happening. He needs to look at the claims that were put forth in the hearing that happened on the Hill yesterday. He needs to look at what was said about the just the state of Nevada. Just that one place in Nevada. Because, holy smokes, there was so much that happened there that should be revealed. People need to know, people need to understand the depth, the depth of what happened. The, the amount of fraud that actually happened. It, it's, it's just breathtaking. It's absolutely breathtaking. And I actually have that. I'm, I'm pulling it up now. I don't have time right now, but in the last segment, I'll get into it about what happened in Nevada. What Jesse Benal had to say during those hearings yesterday. I didn't have it in the show notes, but it's going in the show notes now. Make sure you get them. In fact, it's important to get this one. See, this is what happens when I talk with my hands. This particular one. There's video attached. You can actually watch the video. It's broken into three segments because, eh, they're kind of long. Well, no, that thing is me. No, they're they're not. For some reason, they broke them into three pieces. But it's it's all there, so you can watch those three segments and see what he had to say. And we'll get into it in the next segment. 
And if Lindsey Graham were actually paying attention to what Americans under oath sworn affidavits under the penalty of perjury under they're looking at jail time if they're lying. And these are people these are people with a worldview that leans them towards honesty about things in life. Unlike the worldview of those who lean towards advantage for themselves. That hearing was interesting. Republican Senator Ron Johnson went off in in that hearing, just went off on ranking member, Democratic ranking member Gary Peters. And had at him about lying about Russian collusion, about Russian influence. Because Peters, wow, Peters at one point accused Johnson of being a tool of the Russians. And he's not going to back off because he's a progressive. He'll stand by the lie until the day he dies. Because he is a deeply corrupt individual. And Senator Ron Johnson had enough and went off, just went off. He said, I just have to talk about Russian disinformation because the people peddling it are not on my side of the aisle. Senator Demo- Sen- senior Democrat leaders, including ranking member Peters here, were involved in the process of creating a false intelligence product. It's just galling. And I have to point out that the purveyors of Russian disinformation, Hillary Clinton's campaign, the DNC, the Steele dossier, the ranking member Peters accusing General Grassley and I of disseminating Russian disinformation, that's where the disinformation is coming from. I can't sit by and listen to this and say that this is not disinformation. This hearing today, this is getting information. We have to take a look at to restore confidence in our election integrity. Senator Johnson's right. The people need access to this information so they can see just how deceptive, how deeply corrupt, and how wrong for this nation Democrat leadership actually is. Because they will lie, cheat, steal, kill, do anything for power. Time for the final segment for this Thursday, December 17th, 2020. I was talking about social media earlier. Did you notice that Twitter has changed the options that you used to have? Now, back during the election, as people were beginning to share stories on Twitter about the corruption of the Biden team, the Biden family, and the Biden campaign. They were starting to share stories about Hunter Biden and sharing stories about the lies that were being told in order to correct them about Donald Trump. Twitter changed and made it harder, more difficult for you to share those stories, and they they did a lot more scrutiny on what you were sharing. I don't know if you noticed this, but yesterday, very quietly, without any fanfare whatsoever, 
those sharing options went back to the way they used to be. Because as far as they're concerned, it's over. They no longer have to screen this information because they've already got what they wanted. And you knowing the truth doesn't make any difference now. Rasmussen, one of the only trustworthy polling centers, is telling us that 76% of voters who follow the Hunter Biden news very closely think media ignored it to help Joe Biden's campaign. 76%. They believe the media ignored the Hunter Biden story. They're talking about it now because, uh, again, they believe the deed's done. Doesn't matter what you know. Ugh. Those surveyed, and we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, those surveyed who, Democrats surveyed, I should say, said that if they had known this story beforehand, a significant number of them, enough to sway the election the other direction, would have not voted for Joe Biden. But because they were not allowed to see this information in their casual news sources. They chose Biden because they didn't know about his deep corruption. Okay, back to what I was referring to before. This, this hearing on the Hill yesterday and the uh, the video that's attached to this, the uh, everything. This is what we're talking about here is uh, Jesse Banal's statement, his opening statement during this hearing. And it was shared on Twitter, and I shared it on, uh, on social media earlier today. And here I have it. This is the opening statement of Jesse Banal. It says, while the media and Democrats accuse us of making it all up, our evidence comes both from data scientists and brave whistleblowers. Here's what we found in Nevada. Over 42,000 people voted more than once. Our experts were able to make this determination by reviewing the list of actual voters and comparing it to the list of other voters with the same name, address, and date of birth. This method was also able to catch people using different variations of their first name, as well as individuals who were registered under both a married name and maiden name. At least 15,000 dead people are recorded as voted, voting, as shown by comparing the list of male voters with the Social Security death records. More than 19,000 people voted even though they didn't live in Nevada. This does not include military voters or students. These voters were identified by comparing the list of voters with the United States Postal Service National Change of Address database, among other services or sources. About 8,000 people voted from non-existent addresses. Here, we cross-referenced voters with the Coding Accuracy Support System, which allowed our experts to ID undeliverable addresses. Over 15,000 votes were cast from commercial or vacant addresses. Our experts found these voters by analyzing official USPS records that flag non-residential addresses and addresses vacant for more than 90 days. There were 15,000 of just those. Incredibly, 4,000 non-residents also voted, as determined by comparing official DMV records of non-residents to the list of actual voters in the 2020 election. All in all, our experts identified 130,000 unique instances of voter fraud in Nevada. 
but the actual number is almost certainly higher. Our data scientists made these calculations not by estimations or statistical sampling, but by comparing the list of actual voters with other lists, most of which are publicly available. To put it simply, they explained their methods so that others could check their work. Our evidence has never been refuted, only ignored. Two Clark County technical employees came forward, completely independent of each other, and explained that they discovered that the number of votes recorded by voting machines and stored on USB devices would change between the time the polls would close at night and when they were reopened the next morning. In other words, votes were literally appearing and disappearing in the dead of night. When we attempted to verify the integrity of these voting machines, we were told only a useless visual inspection allowed only a useless visual inspection of the outside of a USB drive. We were denied a forensic examination. Finally, our investigation also uncovered a campaign to illegally incentivize votes from marginalized populations by requiring people to prove that they voted to receive raffle tickets for gift cards, televisions, and more. Our determined team verified these irregularities without any of the tools of law enforcement, such as grand juries, subpoenas, or FBI agents. Instead, we had less than a month to use critical thinking and elbow grease to compile our evidence. We tried to obtain testimony or documents from Clark County officials, but they obstructed and stonewalled. When we filed suit, state officials and even courts delayed proceedings for days, but they offered, they offered us merely hours to brief and argue our cases. In wrapping up, Mr. Chairman, these findings are disturbing, alarming, and unacceptable in a free society. Our free and fair election tradition is a precious treasure that we are charged with protecting. Government by the consent of the governed is hard to win and easy to lose. Every single time a fraudulent or illegal co vote is cast, the vote of an honest citizen is canceled out. Thank you. That's just the state of Nevada. That's only the state of Nevada. 130,000 unique instances of voter fraud in Nevada alone. The effort was monumental. The Democrats knew they had to overcome overwhelming popularity and energy in the Trump base. And so they poured on as thick as they could. And in their effort, they got sloppy. They didn't think people would be paying attention. After all, they've done a wonderful job of spreading disinformation and distrust in the media doing what they can to make people believe that anyone who questions the outcome is disloyal, is wrong, is a Nazi. They've done everything they can to make people believe you and I are liars or crazy or worse. They're telling everyone that we're the ones trying to steal an election. When everything we have seen, like you just heard, and every one of these states 
tells us it's the other way around. Nevada's not unique. The same kind of things happened in Michigan. The same kind of things happened in Pennsylvania. The same kind of things happened in Wisconsin. And on and on and on. And we're, lot, we're watching it all play out again right now in Georgia, where that runoff election is happening. As millions upon millions upon millions of dollars are coming in from the coasts, from L.A., San Francisco, New York, and the like, pouring into Georgia, funding the effort to do exactly these same things in the state of Georgia so that two Republicans can't win seats in the Senate. So the Senate will change hands and be in control of the Democrats. We're already seeing reports about what Joe Biden would like to do in his first weeks. The changes he wants to make. Relaxing border control. If you really would like love a wonderful fright, go look at his tax plan. We're looking at these reports of what he wants to do. And if he gets control of the House and the Senate, if the Democrats are in control of both of those houses and the White House, then this nation is headed for a very, very rough four years. Because all of the relief, all of the prosperity, all of the success, everything which has happened in the last four years under the direction of Donald Trump, will be reversed. Your taxes will go up. You will be wearing a mask and standing six feet away from people for a very long time. You will be fined for going to church. You will be punished for just living a normal life as long as Democrats are in control. Just keep that in mind as we move forward. Speaking of moving forward, it's time for me to do that. Gotta move on. God bless you. Have a great day. Let's get back together again tomorrow for the next edition of the Daily Perspective Podcast. Bye-bye. Oh, we're, uh, we're done.